You're listening to the Primary Medicine Podcast with Kevin and Dimitri, bringing you the best in primary care CME that you can use in your everyday practice. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Primary Medicine Podcast. Really, today I have, have a very special guest. But a bit of background before I introduce them. Approximately 25% of women diagnosed with breast cancer end up getting a mastectomy. And again, correct me if I'm wrong later, but breast reconstruction is currently underutilized treatment for this. I think the rates in Canada are about 50%, and I'll get an idea of what is in the States. But it's a good option because it provides psychological, social, emotional, and functional improvements for these patients. And that's one of the reasons I want to talk about that today, because it is underutilized and it has clear benefits. So I'm very lucky to have Dr. Jordan Frey as a guest. He's a plastic surgeon who works in Buffalo, New York. The way I met him is because he will be a guest on our other podcast, our financial podcast, Physician Empowerment, later on, because he has a website. It's called The Prudent Plastic Surgeon. Excellent. I suggest taking a look for all of our listeners. Goes through his financial journey, but does quite a bit of education as well and has a really good tab about side gigs, which I think are important in this economy right now. Now doctors can make extra money. Well, let's take off our financial hat off and put on our doctor hat, and let's talk about breast reconstruction today. So, so Dr. Frey, can you tell me, in general, what kind of patients are good candidates for breast reconstruction? Yeah, yeah, and thanks for having me. And I think, you know, with your introduction was Perfect, because in the U.S., it, you know, it varies study by study, but it's probably relatively similar. Like about 50% of women undergoing some sort of breast surgery will have breast reconstruction. And it's definitely underutilized, especially there's different socioeconomic, racial barriers to, to care. And especially myself, I work in an urban public hospital. So it's you really see that and it's it is important because there's a lot of benefits to breast reconstruction in terms of who's a good candidate it's pretty much there's there's something that you can do for for almost anyone you know there are things that put people at higher risk for complications things like smoking or uncontrolled diabetes or um obesity things like that but i would say pretty much 99% of the women that come to me and say, I want breast reconstruction, there's something we can do for them. And, and it has to be tailored to their exact situation. You know, if we can do things in an immediate fashion at the same time as they're having mastectomy, or if it needs to be delayed, or, you know, kind of how we we work things, but but pretty much all women are candidates for breast reconstruction. And, and I'm curious, how do they come to you? Do they get referred to you from their treatment team or how do you usually get these uh, referrals? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways. A lot of it is definitely from the the breast surgeons, the oncologic breast surgeons that okay. are referring them to me. There's some that come to me that have just from online or, or looked things up and, and come to me before they see a breast surgeon. And there's a lot of women who have had some form of breast reconstruction already and and maybe are not satisfied about one thing or another and and come to see me for second opinions. Okay. And I don't want to get too much into discussion about insurance because it's a bit different in Canada, but generally insurance plans in the States will cover this for cancer patients. Like it's not yeah. hard yeah, to get the coverage. Yeah, the nice thing, it's not hard to get coverage. Okay. It's yeah, it's not hard anywhere, especially in New York State, particularly. There's like a law on the books that anything oh, related to breast reconstruction has to be covered. And, and that comes up a lot of 
you know, obviously patients are worried about that, but especially even for revisions, you know, if someone has a breast reconstruction, then they come in and they say, Hey, you know, things are a little uneven or asymmetric. And, you know, that kind of those touch-up surgeries, those revisions will also be covered. So, so given that coverage is, is pretty good, it's actually in Canada, it's good as well. Why do you think yeah. it's so underutilized? Like, what do you think some of the barriers are? You talked about socioeconomic, but what's the, what's your opinion on that? I think a lot of it has to do with, um, well, I think there's two big ones. I, okay. I think sometimes there's the oncologic providers. They, they a lot of times meet with the patients first. And there's this sort of, they're obviously really focused on treatment cancer, very appropriately so. But that can provide a little bit of a tunnel vision in the sense of they they either don't bring these things up, the reconstructive options, or they bring them up as sort of these ancillary things that really are not super important. So women go, okay, well, I guess that's just not really a thing. Or they don't bring it up at all. Technically, again, it is a law that they have to offer breast reconstruction services. But the way that that is presented can be really minimal to the point where it's almost the same as not offering it. Yeah, I sometimes. Think, oh, go sorry, ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but sometimes, no, no. you know, when, when patients are going through this treatment, they're stressed, so they can miss that part, right? If it's exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that as time goes on, that's getting better, that that okay. newer breast surgeons, et cetera, are very in tune with that. I think the other one is there's a lot of women that come to me and say, you know, well, you know, I want breast reconstruction, but it, I don't, I don't, I'm not vain or I don't care about looks, you know, and and I have to say to them, you know, this is not vanity. This is something that's being taken from you by cancer and it's normal. You'd want it back. You know, if, if you had whatever, you know, if your hand was taken by cancer or something, you would want something to replace it. It's, it's, it's not vanity. This is just restoring your body and and it's, it's important. So I think there is that, you know, kind of mindset that a lot of patients have to go through. And, and it's on the one hand, you, you can understand where it comes from, but a lot of it is probably how it's presented oncologically as well. But I think those are kind of the two two of the main barriers. And then certainly there's socioeconomic in the sense of someone shuffling through a a public health system is maybe not going to get, not always going to get that same direction to breast reconstruction service as someone going through a private hospital or or something like that. So so I I might be reaching here, but do you think that some of the stigma is associated with, oh, like breast implants, you know, this is... Yeah, you th- yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah. And and that's something we, it's it's a double-edged sword because there's some patients who come and are getting breast reconstruction and they think it's the same as getting like a breast augmentation. And right. you're like, no, this is very different and the, and the expectations have to be different. But then on the other side, yes, people think like, oh, you know, I, I'm not, I, I don't need cosmetic surgery. And you're going, no, this isn't cosmetic surgery. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but right. this is reconstruction. Right. And And again, I'm not a, plastic surgeon so you can correct me here but my understanding is you can go there's a couple of ways to do it but you can go with sort of a implant based and then there's like a flap based way or yeah but generally the two categories or there's more than that no you're totally right that's kind of like the two the two main avenues is you can reconstruct the breast after mastectomy using implants or using your own tissue which we call flap surgery or autologous just meaning it's your own your own tissue 
And they're both good options. It just depends on there's certain situations and certain patients that one is a little better for or the other. And to be quite honest, a lot of patients, they're both good options for, and it just comes down to preference. What's what do people prefer? I'm curious. I mean, obviously you have your own practice and it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's limited, but do people prefer implant or flap usually? It tends to depend. So nationally in the U S and, and this holds true in Canada as well. Implant surgery is much more common, probably okay. like 70% of reconstruction. Okay, implant right. based. The reason for that is multifactorial in, in that implant surgery is a little bit of a quicker surgery okay. for, for the surgeon. The recovery is not necessarily quicker, but the surgery itself is quicker. And there's less surgeons that are trained to do the, the flap surgery using a patient's own tissue. So for instance, I can say in Buffalo, probably 99% of the reconstructions before I came here were implant surgery. But that was really because there wasn't so much a surgeon who was trained to do flap surgery. So now I tend to see a lot of patients who come to me and say, I want flap surgery because that just wasn't offered before, or I know you're the kind of the only person around doing it. So that skews me. Like I'm probably, I probably do 75% flap surgery, but that's just because there's a huge influx of people wanting that. But, uh, you know, the the benefits of of the flap surgery are it uses your own tissue. So it's a little bit more natural appearing and feeling. And um, it's more resistant to infection and wound healing problems, which becomes more of an issue in in patients who, you know, are more at risk for infections or wound healing problems because they're getting radiation or chemotherapy or things like that. Right. Just curious, do implants have a shelf life? How does it how does it work usually with implants? Yeah, it's a tough thing. Like there's so the FDA quotes a a 10-year lifespan of an implant. They say, you know, the average implant will last 10 years. That being said, there's some women I've seen who've had implants for forever and they're doing just fine. And then there's other ones who only have implants a few years or even less and then issues come up. So I usually tell patients, expect that every 10 years or so, some issue may come up okay. that you need to have your implants changed out. But if if there's not issues, it's not like I'd say, okay, 10 years, time to, time <laughs> time to, to get it out. Okay, yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of the average. Okay. So, so shelf life is there, but it's just very much patient dependent. Exactly. I'm just curious, the, the time difference between the two surgeries, like, are we talking about hours or like between yeah. an implant and a flat? Yeah. So let's say like it's, it's a young, young, healthy woman is right. having, you know, a, a double mastectomy and wants reconstruction. If they were getting implants, including the mastectomy part, both the the oncologic and reconstructive surgery, if they're getting implants, probably would take a total of four hours, plus or minus. Okay. If they were getting flap surgery, that kind of bumps up to like seven hours, plus or minus total. Okay. So it's a difference of a few hours. I always tell the patients, it's not because it's more dangerous or anything, but it's more meticulous in that we're dissecting out blood vessels. We have to reconnect the blood vessels from the the flap where we take the skin and tissue, which is usually from the belly. And we have to connect those blood vessels from that tissue to blood vessels in the chest under the microscope. So it takes a little bit of time. And so that's kind of the time difference. And then it's usually with implants, it's a one day stay in the hospital for the flap surgery. It's usually like three days. 
that, that yeah, man, there's there's more moving parts, right? As you said, exactly. So, yeah. Do you, do you it, I, and again, this might be a very ignorant question, but about nip, did you do nipple reconstruction as well for most of yeah, these people? That's a great. That's no, that's not ignorant at all. That's a great question. There's so nipple sparing mastectomy is becoming okay. more and more popular. Okay. And it, it now it's been shown to be oncologically safe. That was the big concern. If you leave the nipple, are you increasing the risk of recurrence? But that's been shown not to be the case. So okay. there's more and more patients that are keeping the nipples from the from the jump. But even if they're not, there's options for nipple reconstruction. There's stuff that that I can do using the patient's own skin to recreate a nipple. Or there's 3D tattoos. So for instance, our nurse practitioners and physician assistants in our office, they do 3D nipple tattoos. So if patients want that, they can do that wow. right in the office. And that's covered by insurance. So there's there's a lot of options for that. And I, I would say most patients end up getting something. And just as a, a because you sort of mentioned this in the beginning, and I didn't belabor the point, but you talked about delayed or immediate surgery. Can you, yeah. can you talk a bit about that? And- well, yeah. why would you go one off or after or, or the, or or the, the other. other? Yeah. Yeah. So immediate surgery would be you get the reconstruction at the same time as the the mastectomy. So you know, you go to sleep and you wake up with your new breasts. And that's that's really the majority of cases okay. is is immediate. Delayed would be you have the mastectomy in one stage and then you have the reconstruction in another stage. The main, the main reason to do that is usually for things like, I can really two reasons. One is if you have a patient who is just, you know, not necessarily healthy enough to have a reconstruction right away. Meaning like, let's say you have a patient that has really, really uncontrolled diabetes or heart disease or something like that. And they have cancer. So you can't wait to do the surgery until they get their diabetes under control or they lose weight or something like that. Then you would say, listen, you're just really high risk for reconstruction right now. Let's just get the cancer taken care of. Then you can heal from that. You can optimize your other comorbidities, and then we can do the reconstruction more safely. That that tends to be more rare. The other reason is usually if a patient's getting radiation. Okay. So it used to be that if a patient was getting radiation, you would do the mastectomy, get the radiation, then do the reconstruction. A lot of times what we'll do now is we'll we'll put a temporary implant in called a tissue expander at the time of the surgery, then get the radiation, and then do usually a flap surgery. And, and you put that tissue expander in just to maintain the breast skin stretched out, and, and it just gives a better aesthetic result. Again, that's kind of nuanced, but that's that's usually what we're referring to. I sort of have a one last question, which you may not yeah. be able to answer, but but yeah, because sure. I'm coming from primary care, just curious. Um, in terms of recurrence, is it so screen? You might not know the answer, but screening is screening easier when you're dealing with implants or lab-based reconstruction? Like, yeah, no, that that's a really really good question because that was for a long time that was the concern from oncologic surgeons. About even doing reconstruction at, okay, at all, right? Is, is they and and we're talking like you know 30, 40 years ago, but their their concern was how are we going to be able to tell if there's a recurrence? Um, subsequently, studies have showed the ability to to detect recurrence with reconstruction without is is the same. 
And usually these patients are undergoing MRI screening, especially if it's implants, it tends to be MRI right. screening. Right. If it's their own tissue, they can still get mammograms, but that's still not the most comfortable thing. So it's usually yearly or every six month MRI screening. So they definitely still get that, but the rate of recurrence is not higher. And and certainly there was, and, and a lot of patients ask, especially if they're using their own tissue, hey, I'm using my own tissue and putting it up there. Is that going to get cancer or something like that? And and that's no, it's obviously not breast tissue, but that's always a, a, a concern and makes sense, but doesn't increase the risk. Thank you. I mean, that's, that's really important for us to know and that the MRI makes sense yeah. because obviously you're already MRIing high-risk patients anyways. Exactly. But yeah. um, it's good to know. And thank you, Jordan. That that was great. And I think you explained this very well. You probably teach people for a living because you're very <laughs> good at explaining things. I understood everything. But I really appreciate your time. Just to yeah, summarize, you. uh, for all doctors here, mention to your patients that this is an option because, again, the studies show that it helps mentally, physically, and functionally. Exactly. It's interesting to know about the, the personal sort of barriers that you talked about, like the stigma of getting breast implants, right? That's that's not yeah. who I am, but, but exactly. hopefully that's being broken down. Thank yeah. you for your time. I hope to, to talk to you and put on my financial hat on and talk to you about the financial yeah, stuff at some point. Good. But this was great. I really appreciate your time. All right. Thanks so much, Dimitri. I appreciate it. Take care. <laughs>